Good morning, everybody. I wanted to let everyone know that this is actually Mike's last episode. He's decided to go off and work on some of his own projects, and we couldn't be happier for him. But what I wanted to ask is, if you're listening to this, please go on Twitter. Follow him at OffTheMike, O-F-F-T-H-E-M-I-K-E, and let him know how much we appreciate everything that he's been doing for this podcast. What I'd like to do is start a trending hashtag called Thanks Mike. So hashtag Thanks Mike. And if you could just say what your favorite moment is from the podcast that he helped with, something that he did, something that you're thankful for Mike for. I think that that'd be a really nice way to send him off with a bang. The podcast will still be going, but I want everyone to take this moment to thank Mike. All right. Now on with the show. In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash. And I'm Mike Bobbitt. And this is Ideal Remake. Welcome back to Ideal Remake. Sitting here with a newer friend of mine, but a guy who knows movies a whole bunch because he produces and hosts a show in Detroit called Cinema Roast Crunch. Give it up for Brett Hayden, everybody. Yay, Yay, me. I was half of that excitement. (laughs) I just had, (laughs) I introduced you like I would at a comedy show, and I just had this image in my head of people driving around going, Woo, oh shit, I'm just in my car alone. What? Why did I cheer? I mean, I hope that happened. That sounds awesome. So uh, right before we started recording, you uh, started to tell Sam a little bit about Cinema Roast Crunch, but then we decided to hold off until everyone could hear. So why don't you tell everyone what the show is all about? Okay, basically, I assume most people listening to this are fans of Mystery Science Theater 3000. If they're not, they should be. Yep, they should be. On Netflix, both the original and the, uh, what do we call it, the reboot? Basically what we do, we have eight comedians. It's a... Uh, MST3K single elimination tournament, and basically we just pick a different movie every month. It's a free show. Uh, we run it at Sellerman's Brewery in Hazel Park, Michigan. And yeah, we start with eight comedians. Eight turns into four. Four turns into two. Two turns into one. The winner at the end of the night gets a custom championship belt, and we kind of keep track of it, almost like like a uh, wrestling or like boxing or whatever. Like that's champions. so cool. How do you judge it though? Yeah, how does it get judged? I just kind of keep track of who's getting the most laughs from the oh, audience. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's almost like, uh, and the cool thing about it is I can, I've asked uh, a lot of stand-ups to do it, but also improv people can do it too, because you get to be on your feet and just make jokes about something you see directly in front of your face. Yeah. And uh, it's been fun, man. I've done it at a few different venues, but Sellerman's has been the most uh, supportive, so we're doing it right now, as of right now, exclusively there. Sellerman's is such a cool venue. I just opened for Sean Patton there, and it's... Just this place that you wouldn't even really expect there to be a comedy show, but it's like this great brewery that's literally down the street from where I used to live, and I love it. The people there are nice, the drinks are great, and there's a really good turnout for comedy shows there. Yeah, I think also, too, because it's like, I I don't drink, so what's it called? Mead? Yeah. Yeah, like, you can't really get... You can't get hammered drinking mead, so it's kind of like a one or two drink place. Yeah, you place. can. <laughs> oh, can you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you absolutely can. I have a friend who runs a meadery in San Diego, so... I spoke too soon. <laughs> Shout out to Chris Roach. <laughs> and <laughs> I got drunk on mead at Cellarman. But you know what I think it is? It's just because <laughs> those guys started running comedy there, like, right when they opened, so... 
like they got there right at the perfect time to where they didn't have like established regulars that could sit there and feel entitled to to heckle the comics and stuff like right that. yeah oh that's that's really cool that how often do you run cinema roast crunch uh we do it once a month generally the last week of every month the next one we're doing is actually this thursday we're roasting leprechaun four in space Ooh, is that this yeah. thursday as of this recording as of this, this recording so the by, Thurs- by, the, by <laughs> the time this comes out we have already done the show probably a month prior that's funny leprechaun four came up on the ideal remake facebook well here's my question is if it's the same belt that's kind of a rotating belt uh is it like a stanley cup thing where everyone gets to write their name really small on the belt oh no i uh i actually just kind of went online and i found just like the close like the cheapest place i can find like a good quality custom belt and it basically just looks like a wrestling championship belt it's just that the sure. center of it it's like the uh it's like the poster of jaws but replace jaws with cinemaro's crunch that's basically what the belt oh looks that's like. cool yeah i mean i don't know if i've complimented you on the podcast about how great a name for a show it, that is Thank but you. it's a fantastic name i actually i i sat down probably for three hours trying to think of it and, and <laughs> it just kind of i wish i was kidding i was actually i went to meyer just to get like buy groceries and i picked up a box of cinnamon toast crunch and i just <laughs> for some reason it just kind of clicked when i saw it and that's that's honestly how it all came together i think that's wonderful when i first moved back to michigan brett was one of the first of the new people who i didn't know before uh when i lived here that was just very open and welcome where Allison started working right away. I had nothing going on. We were staying at her parents and Brett was like, hey, you can come over anytime if you want to hang out. And uh, it was just, it really made me feel welcome back to Michigan. So I, I don't think I told you that before, but thank you for doing you. that. We never ended up hanging out. We didn't <laughs> hang out. I'm not going to hang out with someone <laughs> half my age. People oh, are going to look can. at us together and be like, hey, look, that gay old bear is hanging out with the twink. And uh, Half of my <laughs> friends are just gay old bears in comedy, so this isn't anything new. And as of this recording, I'll have moved, oh, drop my phone. I, uh, I'll have moved into a new apartment, so I plan to have uh, many a movie nights at the new uh, Hayden household, so feel free to get down on that. That's my big plan after after my move. Mm-hmm. Movie nights? Yeah. Bad movie nights, man. My favorite. It's amazing. Well, we'll see if... Uh, I know how I feel about the movie that we're going to be talking about today. I feel like I, I know what Sam will think. Brett, you wanted to talk about They Live. What yes. Now, you and Sam, you may even be younger than Sam... What is, how did you first come across They Live? Well, just uh, so people know, I'm 25, so. You are younger than Sam. You're younger than me. Hell yeah. How old are you, Sam? Uh, I'll be 30 in June. Okay, okay. Not too, not too far off. Uh, They Live. Well, Sam, isn't the question, uh, well, I can play. Uh, 16 to 25. I people, mean, if people will, are, will believe that I am 16. Yes. People think I'm still in high school. It's okay. I have uh, no problem with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When we're 40, we're going to be killing it, man. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. If Sam uh, gets rid of his sideburns, he can play high school kid. No problem. Yes. I had yes. These, I've had these sideburns my entire life. So I had these sideburns in high school. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I just pictured a baby with sideburns. Uh-huh. No, I came across They Live. Uh, I was probably, uh, I want to say 12 or 13. Bravo Whoa. used to do. Yeah. <laughs> the growing up adolescence uh no bravo the tv channel they used to do these like scary movie countdowns they had like 100 scariest movie moments one time and then they had like 30 even scarier and i don't remember how they live somehow managed to be in that for some reason yeah because sam it does not like scary movies it has a physical reaction to scary movies and i assured him that they live isn't a scary movie and i don't believe it is now that you've seen it sam am i right you are correct 
Okay, good. Okay. But weirdly enough, like, that movie popped up, and I couldn't tell you which of the scary movie countdowns, but I just I just remember being 12 or 13, and I saw Rowdy Roddy Piper in this movie where he put on these glasses, and he just saw what looked like these, like, skull, like, alien things. And if you didn't know, now you do. I My favorite thing besides comedy is pro wrestling. I oh, love it cool. to death. So when I saw Rowdy Piper in a movie and I had no idea what it was, I had to check it out. And I also, I didn't know at the time it was a John Carpenter movie. Mm-hmm. So Which Halloween. Is my theory as to why it keeps getting added to these horror movie lists, because it's not a horror movie, really. I mean, there's monsters in it. But yeah. I think because it's John Carpenter, that's why. Yeah, it's the association where it's like Halloween, The Thing. I don't even know if you can, cons- like, I consider The Thing basically a horror movie. The people watch it. Movie, yeah, people yeah. watch it around Halloween. It's become like that kind of tradition for a lot of people. But, uh, yeah, I caught it when I was, like, 13 or 14, and I just kind of, at the time, watched it as just kind of like a monster movie. I wasn't really paying attention so much to, like, the deeper message, like, the social commentary behind it. I just thought it was just, like, a fun, cheesy Carpenter movie. And then I watched it when I, like, graduated high school, and I saw really what they were trying to say about society, and it gives you this whole new perspective, uh, especially how relevant the social commentary is today. Like, we were talking about earlier, like, you just rewatched the movie for the first time in however long. I rewatched it for the first time in however long, and it's amazing how relevant that movie is today. That's why I think I wrote down a list of my favorite movies. I thought which one would still hold up today because like what they talk about is still relevant, and that was the one that jumped out at me the most. Yeah. Um, speaking of Roddy Piper movies, though, have you seen Hell Comes to Frogtown? I have not. I should, okay. I feel. I will just say, don't necessarily jump into the deep end of a Roddy Piper movie. Okay. Because Hell, I liked... Hell Comes to Frogtown, um, but it's not a good movie. <laughs> I mean, it's called Hell Comes to Frogtown. Because he plays Sam Hell. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's like a Mad Max movie where Roddy Piper is the only fertile man, so all these women want to be impregnated by Roddy Piper, and he has some sort of metal chastity belt speedo on throughout the movie, and it's not great. But I love Roddy Piper. I, I grew up in the era of Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper and Andre the Giant, and uh, Roddy Piper was always my favorite wrestler from back then. And so They Live came out in 1988. That means I was 16 when it came out. I saw it then. I feel like I saw it one time between now and then. So this viewing was my third viewing. And Sam, this was your first time. What did you think? Aside from the acting and the pacing... I liked it. Okay, perfect. Uh, which I know is a surprise to you, Mike. Yeah, because it, it. I feel like it would be a good companion piece with both Repo Man and Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, Repo Man. And <laughs> well, and you mentioned that uh, when I was speaking to you off mic. Uh, yeah. And I, I mentioned like because I didn't enjoy either of those movies when I first watched them. Although with time, like the more I think about Repo Man, the more respect I have for it. Mm-hmm. Not the case for Buckaroo Banzai, unfortunately. <laughs> Give it time. Uh, Okay, sure. Uh, But for this movie, this movie, again, I agree. It's still current. It still has relevant social themes. It's the cheesy effects aside, they kind of still work. Um, I have a couple pitches for how I would remake it and make it more modern. But I actually think that in terms of concept, it's a really cool idea. Uh, One of of the problems I always have with these sorts of movies is, um, like, with a lot of conspiracy theories, I'm always like, yeah... But there's no accounting for incompetence. Like, oh, well, the Illuminati rule the world or something like that. I'm like, no, because if they did, there's no way human beings are competent enough to not let that slip. But if they're aliens, it works. And that's what I found interesting. Hmm. I just realized that you both kind of come from money. So you may be aliens. (laughs) I don't 
I may be the only human on this. I do. (laughs) I assume you come from money, Sam. My parents are self-made. I mean, their their parents helped them go to college, but no, my uh, my grandparents, uh, my dad's parents are Holocaust survivors, so they came to the country with nothing. And then when my mom went to college, she went to college outside New York. And so a lot of her family basically disowned her. Oh, geez. So my parents have done very well for themselves because they're very smart, very hardworking people. And they chose uh, work instead of hanging out with their children. Or they they, uh, became wealthy for siding with the aliens. Hey, it's a possibility. And I'd never tell. (laughs) Right. That was the one part where it lost me a little bit, where then all of a sudden, like, the aliens control everything. Hey, let's bring some of these humans on board. And that made no sense to me. But like I said, aside from the acting, which I'm sorry, but is awful. And like some of the pacing, I was on board. I thought it was super fun. Good. I mean, it's basically all building to a single joke. But you know what? That's what you got to do sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. So Roddy Piper uh, gave fighting lessons to Keith David and in turn, Keith David gave acting lessons to Roddy Piper, which just kind of reminds me of... Uh, Arrested Development, when uh, fucking uh, Apollo Creed was giving uh, acting oh, lessons. Uh, God damn it. Carl uh, Weathers? Sure. <laughs> Let's go with Carl uh, Weathers. Yep, Carl Weathers. Was giving... <laughs> you don't even I have, have to add it. Rocky, that was three seconds. You. Yeah. I, gotta, I can't have three seconds. Now we keep talking about the three seconds that it took me to look that up. That So obviously this movie is very um, inspirational. It inspired Shepard Fairey to do um, The Obey Andre right. the Giant, all around Los Angeles. Roddy Piper thought this was a documentary or based on a documentary because in the 70s he watched a, a what he thought was a documentary about a television company that was putting chips in their TV to give subliminal messages to women to buy things. But then he found out later that that was a, a comedy film. <laughs> um, uh, but he swore up and down that uh, it was based on a documentary, uh, which it's not. But I mean, there's definitely uh, subliminal advertising is definitely used in the advertising world. So it's not completely off base. Subliminal advertising has been a theme in a couple of different movies. Can you guys think of any others? Is this your favorite subliminal advertising movie? For me, definitely. Probably, yeah. yeah. For me, it's a it's between this and Josie and the Pussycats. And Josie and the Pussycats <laughs> is really good. I, I didn't see it. I thought that was just notorious for a lot of product placement. Yeah, but that's the theme. Like, they're talking, oh, okay. like, the, like, the whole concept for the movie is that uh, these big Hollywood studios are taking famous pop stars and putting subliminal advertising in their music. And so the further into the movie you get and the more you learn that that's what's happening, the more product placement there is in the movie to the point oh, where okay. they're doing the same thing in the movie that they're talking about how they were doing in the music. And it's very smart, very clever. It's underrated because it's a fantastic movie. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I, I think it came up before. Is that, uh, is Alan Cumming in that? Yes. Okay, yes, it came up on the podcast before when we were doing Clue. Clue. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, They Live is about an unemployed homeless drifter who is nameless in the movie, but in the end credits uh, and in interviews, they call him John Nada. He discovers this underground resistance group has, uh, sunglasses that let you see things for how they really are and that is that the upper class are aliens and behind um a lot of things like money magazines billboards are big subliminal messages saying things like obey consume uh, consume 
reproduce. Uh, the money, the money says, "This is your god." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so funny too that this was such a theme even before this movie. Where I really, one of my favorite bands is Suicidal Tendencies from California, and they have a song, uh, "Subliminal," uh, "Subliminally," or it's called "They're Fucking with Me Subliminally." Uh, <laughs> And that song, which predates this movie, is basically the exact same thing. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't remember this being such a big thing in the 80s. But then again, I wasn't really woke <laughs> in the 80s. Uh, but yeah, this is, God, I, I really love this. I'm, I'm so happy that we ended up doing this movie because otherwise I don't think I would have revisited it. And I don't think I'd have ever seen it. So I appreciate yeah. that we're doing it too. So do you want to take us? I mean, that you basically kind of summarize the plot. Basically, yeah, the- this drifter rolls into town. He finds stuff out. He uh, has this best friend who he's known for a day who all of a sudden he has to convince that like, because once he puts on these sunglasses and sees the world for what it really is, he sees these aliens that are basically controlling everything. Instead of being smart or clever, he basically walks up to one and goes, you're <sighs> super ugly. You're awful. I see you. And the alien's like, letting lets the other aliens know and all of a sudden now he's under attack and he has to go on the rampage and like shoot his way out but they do explain that the sunglasses have the side effect of making you feel like you're stoned they explain that like that's the case afterwards do they the sunglasses make you feel like you were stoned and like lower your inhibitions like hey i i put on these sunglasses (laughs) you look dumb I, that's how I, I took it. I took Is it, it kind of like that, yeah. I didn't pick up on that at all. Yeah. I mean, it's also possible I just missed it, so that's interesting. Yeah, because he was talking about how once he takes them off, he crashes really hard, which is why he kind of passes out when he gets to uh, the television producer's home. I was aware of the crash, but not of the high. Yeah. Um. So here's my question to you guys regarding Meg Foster as Holly. Was, uh-huh. she, was she on the side of the aliens the entire time or just at the end? Huh. Because I, 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 I couldn't I really... Have... Go ahead. Oh, no, I just couldn't really... I had a hard time trying to figure that out myself. My I, guess I... is that she was on the side of the aliens the entire time. Because that's why the aliens had... I mean, the aliens had their uh, satellite, radio wave, whatever transmitter at her studio. And then when she's at the meeting, she says, oh, no, it's not at my studio. And then later, of course, it is. And I think yeah. she's calm and collected. She doesn't necessarily know that... He was going crazy going after aliens. But as soon as he's knocked out, she calls the police and says, oh, no, I'm fine. He's here. Do your thing. Yeah, I I guess I would lean more towards maybe she was with them the whole time. I was going either way because they made a point of showing that he left the sunglasses behind in her place. Right. But there's also the line that she says, you know, when he tells her to put them on. Where she says, listen, I'm just going to tell you that I see whatever you see just for, you know, yeah. to appease you, you know. So, Which I thought was a good line. She didn't act well at all in the entire movie, but the, some of the lines she had were good. Hey, she's Evil Lynn from the Masters of the Universe masterpiece. Neat. <laughs> I have a friend who, uh, actually the friend that we were doing that uh, movie Fantasy League thing. I don't know if you're still doing that, Sam. Sure, but, I'm not. Okay, Masters of the Universe is his favorite movie. Ooh. You know that they're eventually going to remake that, right? Well, they should, because Masters of the Universe was a horrible movie. Yeah, so that's a that's one of the should... See, I feel the same way about Masters of the Universe as I do about this movie. This movie is a cool concept, but I don't think it's particularly well executed. When I pitch uh, our podcast, I say it's uh, 
we talk about movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade. And I think They Live is a should be remade. I wouldn't be surprised if it does get remade soon, especially with like Danny McBride remaking Halloween or reimagining or rebooting whatever he's doing to Halloween. I think there's a lot of love for They Live. I think so too. Now, here's my question to you, both of you. Why is it called They Live? I think it's just because they, the aliens, I bet, can we agree that they're basically saying Republicans are like aliens? That's <laughs> oh, basically yeah. what they're, yeah, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. basically yeah, yeah. what they're trying to say. Oh, yeah. It's Onboard. just like, yeah, I think they're basically just saying they're always going to exist. They live, they're going to, they're, they're always, and they do. Yeah. Well, the European title for this, and I wonder if it's the Australian title too, we'll have to have Dougie tell us, uh, <laughs> Is Invasion Los Angeles, I believe, or it's Invasion something. I think it's Invasion Los Angeles. That's an interesting name. So let me ask you guys this. What would be your name for this movie? Because I honestly don't think They Live is a great name. And whenever I say They Live, and also it's SEO is terrible. Uh, What would you guys name this movie? Oh, man. Hmm. That's a good question. You could call it Obey. Obey would I? I think Obey is a really good title, actually. Yeah. I actually like that a lot. Do you like a, a circular thing and have Shepard, uh, is it Shepard Fairy or Shepard Farley? I think it's Shepard Fairy. I, I don't know. It, who, who is what? Uh, Shepard Fairy. Yeah, Shepard Fairy. Could have Shepard Fairy actually do a really cool poster for it and call it Obey. Yeah, I mean, the poster that they have now where he's got the glasses on and you see the face, you don't necessarily think that it's like secret people. You just think he's going to be fighting aliens. It'd be cool if they just had like someone's face and it was half fa- half regular face, half crazy alien face Ooh, could do a lenticular poster where depending on where you're standing it either looks human or alien yeah that's that's an easy way that's an easy way to sell the dvd or the blu-rays yeah that sounds amazing lenticular covers man oh i want a criterion collection of they live now yeah just to have oh man yeah i i mean they did with repo man it would be out of the possibility what they do on repo man what's the lenticular cover on repo man Oh, not lenticular. It's, they just did it's a just Criterion. A, yeah. yeah. Ah. But the cover for the Repo Man Criterion is really neat. It's sort of like... Uh, punk rock. It's Yeah, it's like a punk rock skull. It's green. But, yeah, it's green, but like all the lines in it are kind of like the map of Los Angeles. Yeah, I actually own it. It's a cool box set. Yeah. yeah it's cool. I think they could do a really cool... like uh, Criterion puts together these insane collections with like artwork and just all these... They really clean up. Like older movies, but uh, what you call it? Shout Factory just put out a uh, like a year or two ago a They Live Collector's Edition because I Ooh. yeah because I own it and it actually is really really cleaned up. Oh, nice! I, I'm gonna have to own that because They Live is a movie that I think I could watch <laughs> repeatedly. Yeah, Sam, what did you think about the five minute twenty second uh, fight scene? It was really long. <laughs> <laughs> it's I kept ridiculous. Thinking, I, I love ke- it, but it's ridiculous. I kept thinking it would end, and then they kept going. I was I. <laughs> <laughs> I I made a note. You got to ask them what the deal is with this with this movie. Like, did they need to increase the length of that fight scene just so they could increase the runtime of the movie? There's no reason for it to be that long. It was originally scheduled to be a 20 second fight scene, but on their own, Roddy Piper and Keith David worked together with the well, not on their own, worked together with the stunt coordinator and did that. Roddy Piper wanted to make sure that three wrestling moves were incorporated into the fight scene. And uh, eventually John Carpenter was like, yeah, you know what? This is going to be cool because I want to show like the lead beat up. So he's more relatable. And it's not that he's just like the Superman that can get into a fight. And then in the next scene, 
just kind of walking around like it's no big deal. Like Although they the are limping day, into, yeah, they're limping into the hotel. They're all bruised, and uh, and then they sleep it off. And the next day, they're perfectly fine. Eh, they're still a little jacked up. I didn't. I don't remember seeing any marks on either of their faces, and they were messed up. You may be right. Yeah, like, I they may were, be crazy. Yeah, they were legit. Like they did like suplex. They like suplexed one another. Yeah, like, three or four oh, yeah. times. Yeah, uh, they, Sam, it, they live. lunatic. You're looking for. Yes, I didn't thank want you. To, yeah, I don't want to leave you hanging on that. South Park, I was watching. Yeah, Jimmy yeah. and Timmy. They did Jimmy they, and Timmy. If you listen to the commentary, they actually say they ripped off the They Live fight scene. On YouTube, you can find a split screen of the They Live fight scene with the South Park fight scene. And it's really funny how, for the most part, it's shot for shot. Yeah. I wow. That's pretty yeah. great. Yeah. Because that's the want- thing. This is one of those movies that kind of just like buries itself in the collective uh, subconscious and it just comes out in interesting ways like the Andre the Giant Obey posters. Yeah, I like a lot of the practical effects too, like the grocery store scene. What they ended up doing was they had to build a set for the grocery store so they could take everything off the shelves and replace it with the uh, secret uh, produce and product in there. The, with hidden, all me- the-, the hidden message stuff? They had a message, which reminded me of the grocery store in Repo Man, where it was, you know, oh, beer. Oh, yeah, that's true. I liked that, and I liked how, uh, like, the magazine stand, and I liked how when they had the glasses on, everything was black and white and the weird aliens and everything. It was a different way of looking at things. It annoyed me a little bit when they had their contacts on, but then because of the big reveal when they blew up the transmitter at the end and everything was then in color and you could see everything... In retrospect, I ended up going, okay, good, because they had the lenses on because they were still filtering everything. I thought it was cool. I, I like the way that they did things, like, to keep it on a budget, like, all the billboards were kind of just still images that they could photo manipulate. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you didn't really have to, you know, you just had to set decorate a magazine stand. And then that wide shot of, like, all the skyscrapers and stuff that say, like, obey and conform and all that stuff. And it's supposed to be this big shot of the city, but you could easily manipulate it because it's still just like a... It looks like a still of a city. Right. I think it's a map painting. Yeah, something like that. But it it looked like when they actually like shot it, it was just like a very easy, cheap thing they could do that it make still look really good. Yeah, and I think the uh the weird hovering ball was uh (laughs) I think that was animated. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't I could see that. Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting too seeing how the LA skyline was so much different than how it is now, where I used to work in the Bank of America building. So the skyline in They Live in 1988, the two tallest buildings were what are now the Wells Fargo building and the Bank of America building. And I'm guessing that the construction site that they are on at the beginning of the movie must be where the U.S. Bank building, which is famous. It's the building from Independence Day where everyone goes on top. It's kind of like the round building. Blade Runner uses that building, too, that they just got architectural uh, design like this building is going to be built in the next few years, which is why it appears in Blade Runner, even though the bank, the U.S. Bank building wasn't built until years after Blade Runner came out. Crazy. Yeah. I Neat. used to work in an architecture firm in Los <laughs> Angeles, so I really loved the skyline of Los Angeles. And it was neat seeing it so much smaller and realizing how much it's changed over the years and just all the downtown uh, scenes. I don't know if you spend a lot of time in downtown Los Angeles, but like the uh, street preacher at the beginning is right in front of city hall. Downtown Los Angeles has completely changed from now versus how it was 30 years ago. It's interesting that that they picked Los Angeles as their city, as opposed to like a city like New York. Cause you think with everyone spread out, that would be harder to manipulate, but 
uh, Los Angeles is good because it's got all that like broadcast stuff. Yeah, I, I wonder too if I don't think this is the case at all um, because a lot of people have uh, like the alt right <laughs> clearly did not understand what John Carpenter was going for with this, and they have said that they live is John Carpenter talking about the way um, the Jews are taking over. And John Carpenter was like, oh, that's not true at all. No, you totally are misinterpreting it. It's all about you guys. Well, yeah, that's a uh, huh. It's yeah. interesting how different pieces of art can be uh, differently interpreted. Inter- wow, that's a bad sentence. It's interesting how different pieces of art can be so wi- the interpretation of it can be so wildly different. Right. So what I was getting at is I, I wonder if it's Los Angeles because maybe there's a part of John Carpenter that was equating it to Latin Americans, maybe? I Probably not. No, but- because the only people who were vaguely uh, ethnic were a lot of the poor people in the little shanty town at the beginning. Yeah, you know what? I, I'm going to – that definitely is not the case. Here's one thing. I don't know if you know about this, Brett, but um, all the homeless people at the beginning are real homeless people that John Carpenter said, well, look, this is a way for me to give them work for a week and make sure that they have meals and everything from you know catering. And I thought that was really, really cool and noble. I like John Carpenter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't heard many stories about him, but based on that story alone, I like him too. Yeah, he just seems like a cool, I think he's like in his 70s, just a cool, laid-back, progressive guy way ahead of his time. I, I don't think I've seen an interview of him where he's not smoking or doesn't light up a cigarette <laughs> halfway through the interview. Where sometimes I'm just like, how the fuck are you still alive, man? Wait, John Carpenter's still alive? Oh, yeah. Hold up, let's, uh, I'll pull up, let's see how old he is. I'm on yeah, he's still rating. alive. And he's Wait, smokes he's, like a chimney. He's okay. only seventy years old. Yeah, he was born in forty eight. Yeah, okay. January sixteenth, nineteen forty eight. Uh, I would say he looks a good ten years older than For sure. he is. He, that is true. Here are some other things about him too. He because he wrote, produced, directed this. He um used a uh, a pen name, so it wouldn't just look like. John Carpenter's They Live, written by John Carpenter, produced by John. <laughs> so the uh, writer who's credited for this, which is, uh, okay, IMDB has his real name. Oh, okay. He's credited as, as uh, Frank Armitage. Armitage. That's John Carpenter. So <laughs> Amazing. Uh, John Carpenter also does the his own music for his movies, too. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And it's actually good. That's, yeah, that's the crazy thing. I'm so mad that John Carpenter plays live in L.A., and I didn't go see him. Yeah, you should have. I know. You'll I be know. back. You'll be back to visit. Uh, really, all of this. You're just gonna. You're gonna call it the regret trip, and you're gonna come back and hit up all the places you missed doing when you lived here. And it'll just be a week of you going. Oh, this is so cool! I'm glad I get to see it now. Oh, this is so cool! I'm glad I get well, to see it now. It's not like like Jeff Goldblum plays every Thursday at a bar in L.A. Like he has a jazz band. Right. John Carpenter did one show uh, oh. in the four years that I was there. But still, it would have been cool to see him live. He wrote the music for They Live after watching the opening scene of Roddy Piper walking. And he just kind of wrote like a bass line that kind of went around with like the pace that Roddy Piper walked. And then he was like, I I think I can lay a guitar riff over this. What a fucking artist. Yeah, I think we can all just basically agree that he's a genius. I did not know this. I'm on his uh, IMDb page. It's trivia. Uh, He actually turned down the chance to direct Zombieland. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah. 
So when he, because Roddy Piper was under contract with Vince McMahon and the then WWF, uh, Vince McMahon realized that Roddy Piper was going to be valuable. So he offered Roddy Piper twice the money to do a WWF movie and Roddy Piper turned it down because he just had the feeling, even though he didn't know initially who John Carpenter was, he just had a hunch that doing this John Carpenter thing might be a bigger thing. The movie that Vince McMahon made was over the top which costs twice as much money and is unwatchable. Uh, wow. I've gotten that movie requested probably ten times for my show. Oh, really? We're, we're going to at some point. You have to. Yeah, over the top. We're going to do Roadhouse eventually. Roadhouse uh, is a good movie. It's good, but I feel like there's a lot there that's uh, that needs to be said. <laughs> okay, at least according to the three or four people who've demanded that we watch it. Right. So... Well, uh, guys, all right, so we can all agree that John Carpenter is a genius, so how can we turn around and improve on this masterpiece? If we were going to be remaking this movie, what would we do? Well, I think we should definitely set it in the present day. I don't present know about day. you guys. But but first thing is, uh, if we're remaking it, does Carpenter have any involvement with it whatsoever? Let's or- pretend that we have his blessing to do whatever we want to with. Okay. I think that's fair. Who's playing? Who's taking Piper's role? Well, when you before guys... we get into casting, let's let's talk about like what we're going to do with the nature of the movie because okay, I think okay. we're setting it present day. But if we're doing it present day, do we do it with sunglasses or we do it through an app on the phone? I think we can still do it with sunglasses, but I think we definitely need to incorporate apps and social media and all the distractions that people have on their phones. Or, ooh, you know what you could do is you only see it when you take a picture or something, like on a phone, like the way you would with the sunglasses. Like that, you hold the phone up, take a picture, and then you see, wait, what a minute, what's going ooh, on there? Ooh, or, that, that was my pitch, like a Snapchat yeah. kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. or like in, like an app that would like, oh. that That's what I was thinking. Like, it's the something like you can't see the world for what it is, but like you somehow record it and you put it through the filter, and all of a sudden it's becoming real. Yeah, And if you had to put glasses on, I thought it'd be interesting if it was like a Google Glass, because you're filtering out the technology that's that's cloaking them. Yeah, this like, is... We can market an app, too, that kind of does, you know, like that Star Wars VR stuff where you can have it look like, you know, First Order Stormtroopers are there. We could have like an app that kind of makes it look like the alien faces are over people. And uh, that can be a little bit of side money in marketing for our obey movie as well one of the clients i have is a company called augmentally which is a really interesting company because what they do is uh they create games and apps and other things that are augmented reality so so like people could get temporary tattoos at a party but when you took a picture of the temporary tattoo it actually bloomed into a uh, a cartoon flower on their arm instead of being just the tattoo oh cool and it was different things linked together so it I mean, that's really what these apps and these sorts of sunglasses are. I mean, the whole concept of AR is kind of a new and developing field. And I think turning that into this kind of movie would be amazing. Yeah. When I used to do marketing for PlayStation before I moved to LA and uh, AR games were big on the PlayStation Vita. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't think, I think Nintendo probably did a better job of uh, AR or does Nintendo make Pokemon Pokemon Go? Go? Uh, yeah. It's made by a company ni- named Niantic and licensed through. Okay. Uh, but Niantic is also the company that made a game called Ingress, which is okay. all about real world locations and traveling to places to capture portals. Yeah, definitely some sort of augmented reality going there. Yeah, I would definitely like to do a commentary on social media apps as well as everything that 
they live is commenting on as well too so then my next question is in the movie he's wearing the sunglasses and a lot of times you see the world as it is but he's not wearing hearing aids and a couple of times you can oh i know hear things and so i thought if it was snapchat or an app we could also like someone says something and it's recorded into it and then it comes out what they actually mean it, that did bug me the street sign that was putting out the message where i'm like how can he hear that he's only wearing sunglasses yeah yeah that's it i mean Oh, John. <laughs> but that's uh, why we're remaking it. We're going to, yeah. yeah, we're going to fix these uh, imperfections. Absolutely. We're trying to. Okay, so if we're setting it now and we're using apps and, uh, here was my pitch because, uh, and I kind of want to tie it back to, uh, the movie Wonder Woman. You both saw Wonder Woman, right? Yes. I, I am not, unfortunately. Uh, you should see it. Okay. I'm going to be spoiling a little bit of Wonder Woman, so no I worries. apologize. It's okay. Uh, there's a moment in, uh, in this movie where she kills the guy who she thinks is Ares, the god of war. But doing that doesn't stop uh, the Germans in World War One from continuing and doing their machinations. Part of what I think would be interesting about They Live is that these aliens are coming in and they're benefiting uh, from all of like this human suffering and manipulation. But I think it should only get to a certain point, And then it's humans after that just doing it to themselves. Because what I wanted was not, oh, I kill Ares and all of a sudden... Uh, people are back to normal it's Ares was just benefiting from how awful people can really be because if it's oh aliens or Ares are making you do the bad thing that's oh it's not really their fault i find it more interesting if it is human beings fault and aliens are like we were going to manipulate them but they were way better at coming up with awful things to do to each other than we were or if it's you know that they gave us the tools to make us passive like posting a social message on her Facebook profile and not actually, you know, doing something. And it's the humans that kind of are, you know, like who's to blame is, you know, I do yeah. like the idea. I'd like the idea of like the waters being a little muddy. Cause you have to kind of decide like, is like, who's the bad guy here? Is it, are these guys just taking advantage of this already like, like bad human behavior or is it really just the aliens that are doing all these bad things? Or are they just taking advantage of, people already doing terrible things. Yeah. Are they taking advantage of human nature? Yeah. Or is human nature the way it is because of alien manipulation? Yeah. That's the yeah. question. And now we're thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So one of the other nice things about this movie is that there's not a large cast. We don't have a central villain. No. Should we? Uh, no, not necessarily. I don't think I would change anything about that. I think that's what kind of makes it scarier is that it's not a central villain. It's a class. Yeah. I agree with that. One thing I did do with my casting, because I think particularly these days we're becoming more and more aware, not to pat myself on the back, but I've been aware of because of the gender discrepancies within the world of comedy. I thought it would be interesting to have the leads be female because female voices are typically not heard. So it just kind of makes it a little bit more of a struggle than having a straight white male where people are more likely to listen to what a straight white male has to say as opposed to a female. I actually like that. I didn't even put to it like the idea of having a woman as the lead, like, yeah. especially now because they're so, because they're like such an underdog. Yeah. I think that would be interesting. I have huh. nothing against that. Um, I, Then let's get to yours in just a sec, Mike, and let's okay. start with uh, Brett and mine. And let's see if uh, I'm sure your selection for a female lead tops us. So, okay. Brett, who did you have for John Nada? I actually, like, until Mike brought it up, I didn't even think about the female lead. So, if you guys want to, like, get the ball rolling with the female, because I... Oh, no, no, because I think well, Mike wants to originally? change Jonathan Nada to 
Joan Nodder or something like that. Huh. I, th- I think he's gender swapping Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I didn't even think to, like, uh, like, originally, because somebody posted, uh, I, th- I believe Mike posted it in the uh, Facebook uh, group about, oh, like, uh, look at that. who would you have as, like, <laughs> a, somebody suggested, like, uh, paying almost homage to Roddy Piper, because he's since passed away, to have, like, a wrestler do it again. Yeah, I initially thought The Rock. You thought The Rock? I actually, I thought somebody could... mentioned it in the actual comment section, because that was the first thing that came to mind. There's a wrestler right now, his name's Dean Ambrose, and he's kind of like, a like, his whole thing is, he's the lunatic fringe, and he kind of does look like a drifter, sort of, just kind of, like... Dude wearing a tank top and jeans who's just kind of beats people up and is kind of just like his own man sort of thing. I kind of thought like the idea of a wrestler playing in that role even today would be cool to see. Because like even in like the world of acting, like wrestlers, like it's still entertainment, but it's still like an outsider. And I think it's like for this type of movie that could I actually think would be really cool. I think it's an interesting idea. My only problem is that unfortunately the acting in the movie that we have is not so good oh it's not great and so i'd like to make sure we get someone who can act you know what's weird about this though because keith david has to do most of the heavy lifting and he's really good in the thing which i know it's a horror movie so you haven't seen it sam but he's really good in the thing and he's really good in stuff other than this he's actually the bad guy or one of the bad guys in the new or the newer movie the nice guys if you've seen that. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, because I recognized his voice. Like, his voice is so iconic. Like, you hear it and you're like, I've heard this before. Is he the voice in God of War, the video games? I believe he is. <laughs> he might be. Um, yeah, so, well, uh, the Facebook group, I just pulled it up real quick. Uh, you're right. Ryan Dickman suggested Dean Ambrose. And Denver Rashawn, uh, who's a local filmmaker, suggested The Rock, and <laughs> Dougie Rock. pointed out that I was just having the group do my job. So, yeah, which yeah. is the only one of those comments that I liked. <laughs> <laughs> I'll like it too, then. Okay. <laughs> I, I also like that you post that posted that question and then completely forgot to check. <laughs> oh, come on, guys. I'm 45. You think I can remember things? Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, uh, well, the person that I had for my uh, character of Nada, I cast Nathan Fillion. Okay. Uh, because I need someone who's kind of action star adjacent, but I need someone who just has the charisma because the character of Nada just stands around talking to himself a lot of the movie. And I need someone who can kind of make that work. And I kind of like it if it's Nathan Fillion because it's someone who can do the drama, but also make the drama funny. And I thought that that would be fun. So that's who I pulled. It's not a bad pick, because you gotta remember, too, like, this is, like, there's some, there's, like, some serious things being said about society in this movie, but it's still very tongue-in-cheek and silly. Absolutely. So you gotta have have that right balance. I think that's a good pick. And the the character's not especially young. I, like, the character's in his his 40s, and I think that's how old Nathan Fillion is. Oh, yeah, I looked it up. I think Nathan Fillion is one year older than you, Mike. Is he? Nathan Fillion was born in 71. I was born in 72. Perfect. Nailed it. I initially thought... Because you needed someone really built, you know, to believe that they were going from one city to the next and just kind of working construction. I thought Gina Carano, who I first saw in Steven Soderbergh's Haywire, uh, but people probably know her mostly from playing Riley in Fast and the Furious 6. She played Angel Dust in Deadpool. But then because oh. of the name Nada, I um, thought it would be more fun having her as Frank, but having Michelle Rodriguez as Nada. Because Nada, of course, is uh, Spanish for no or <laughs> nothing. <laughs> I know I know who Michelle Rodriguez is, but remind me. Michelle Rodriguez was in Avatar. She's Letty in Fast and the Furious. 
Oh, she's in Fast and the Furious as well? Yeah, the yeah. last. Okay, I've never seen a Fast and the Furious movie. Uh, she was in uh, Girl Fight. Yeah, she's in uh, Machete Kills. She was uh, in Lost. Gro- she's in Growly. She's Growly Guy's girlfriend, right? Yeah, and she's kind of Growly Girl, too. <laughs> eh, I think it's a really cool idea. I'd be open to workshopping and seeing if we could find someone else for that role well, who is a Hispanic lady. Because I'm sure there would be... Because that's the thing. This movie doesn't really have like, oh, well, we need to like stay true to this love interest or whatever. I think it's a cool idea. So it's just figuring out. Well, Gina Carano, I believe, was uh, an ultimate like a UFC fighter. Um, She was my first idea before I ended up moving her to Frank. And I don't think we need to have two female leads necessarily. Not necessarily. Um, I think it would be even more interesting, even though I do. I do think that there was a little it was a little homoerotic when, uh. Frank and Nada go to the hotel room and they take off their shirts after rolling around in the alley together. Yeah, I think it would was... be kind of neat to have a male Frank and a female Nada and have there not be the expected hookup. Right. Because, like, really, if you're like, oh, shit, there are a bunch of aliens living among us, you're not going to say, hey, uh, want to knock boots <laughs> you know, or roll around? Plus, Frank is married and has two kids yeah, that he talks exactly. about a lot. Yeah. So what do you guys think about Gina Carano? Uh... That works for me. How do you feel about her? About her? Yeah. She's, like, super built, so I could see her... About Michelle Rodriguez? She's built more than Michelle Rodriguez, yeah. I think Gina Carano is is better casting for the role, because I think, A, she's, like, ridiculously strong and can crush all of us with her thumbs. Uh, But I also just think, like, she can do that balance of action and comedy. Yeah. Yeah, would I would I be wrong to say also, too, like, as opposed to Michelle Rodriguez, like, now that I'm looking at more pictures of Gina Carano... It's not that she's not feminine, but she definitely has, like, like how do I describe this? She definitely has more of, like, a, hmm, I'm trying to think of the best way I can put this. Like, she's built. She she's has more built. Of a... Yeah, she kind of, she's, like, strong like a man, but she's not, she's not a man. I don't know, I don't really yeah. know how I can explain this. But, yeah, I get what you're trying to say, 100%. Yeah, she definitely has bodybuilder physique. Yeah. She's beautiful, but she's not purely just, like, eye candy. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. can see her going from uh, different... Like, construction site to construction site, just, like, working her way from town to town. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That I'm looking at more pictures, yeah. 100%. <laughs> There's a magazine spread from GQ where, yeah. uh... She looks like she could... Yeah, she's in the ring, up. but in kind of lingerie. The movie Haywire, which is a Steven Soderbergh, who I really respect for trying different genres, just kind of did a, a straight-out action movie, and she's the lead in it. She has a fight in a hotel room with Michael Fassbender that is just brutal... But she's so fucking good in it. Oh, I believe that. Awesome. Let's go with Gina Carano. I think she's a really cool idea. Okay. All right. Who's next? Let's talk about Frank. Frank. So if Gina Carano is going to be our big kind of our our action star, our our Frank probably should be a little bit more comedically leaning. So hear me out. Phil Lamar. Phil Lamar from (laughs) Pulp Fiction and cartoon voiceovers. And Mad TV. I don't know if I could see Phil Lamar working on a construction site, though. I can't see him being very good at it. Yeah. I think we need a bigger guy. Like All right. A... Cress Williams. Cress Williams? He's uh, he's Black Lightning in the mo- in the show Black Lightning. Who are you thinking, Brett? Oh, man. I was kind of like, I kind of like the idea of like a comedic thing, too. But it was kind of hard to like pinpoint somebody because you still have to kind of look the role. Like, and most of the funnier black people I had in mind were like like purely like comedic roles and they're kind of like skinny lanky guys that just don't really they look, they look out of place i went comedic for holly 
And I gender swapped Holly as well, too, just because I thought if you had a straight up funny person in that role, it would make it more of a shock at the end, the uh, bullet to the head. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, so I didn't go heavy with Nada, or or I stayed with heavies for Nada and Frank, but I did really light. And Sam, I think you're going to be super happy with my Holly choice. I'm um, excited, but tell me about your Frank. Well, Frank, that's where I originally had Gina Carano, but we oh, that's moved right. her to Nada, so oh, I don't okay. have a Frank. Then how about Terry Crews? I was going to say Terry Crews. I yeah. love that idea. Yeah. Because he's funny, but he's also jacked. He looks like a construction worker. Then let's oh, do man. that. Terry Crews oh, yeah. And I like Terry Crews to the point, like, so much that the scene at the end where he would get shot in the head would just be so heartbreaking because Terry Crews is... Such a likable presence yeah, on like, screen. I just want to, like, I wish my arms were long enough to hug Terry Crews. <laughs> <laughs> That's so I, funny. I'm never, ever sad to see Terry Crews in any media at all. He's always amazing. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. Let's go with Terry yeah, Crews. Terry Crews. We didn't even have to think too hard about that. No. I love it. Well, I mean, Brett, basically your description of what Frank needed to be kind of sold me. I was like, oh, he needs to be a black guy, but he needs to be jacked. He needs to be funny. Well, that's yeah. Terry Crews. <laughs> yep, that's <laughs> the perfect. Yeah. Oh, man. What do we got? Uh... Okay, so let's go Holly. Holly you you said you had, you're really excited about your pick. I want to well, hear it. I want you guys to go first on that. Okay. All right, Brett, take it away. Oh, why well, you got to make me? I can pressure. go first. All right, I'll go first. Please do. Don't... Yeah. My Holly is Gina Torres. Okay, let's look at Okay. I feel like I know that name. Let me look it up. All right. Uh, she was in Firefly also. Yes. She was married to Lawrence Fishburne for uh, many years. Okay. She's certainly a badass and really wonderful actor. Oh, yeah. she's Was she nominated for an Emmy this year? I don't remember. What is she in these days? I haven't seen her since Firefly. She's in Westworld. She's in Suits. She's in The Cat. She's in Westworld? Who's yeah. she in Westworld? Uh, she is Lauren. Is she one of the, is, I didn't watch all of Westworld. Is she one of the robots? That's my guess. I also didn't watch Westworld, but I assume so. She was in Hannibal. She's in Revenge. She's just one of those classically fantastic actors. Wow. I, I don't know that I've seen her in anything other than Firefly. She's really good in suits. Yeah, she's phenomenal. But that's kind of why I wanted her. I was I was kind of doing, as uh, Scott said in our last episode, kind of a, a one-to-one casting. Because she's someone who can, you know, actually emote and be an interesting person. But also kind of like be that person who's like, I, I'll, all right, you've got a gun on me, but I'm not going to I'm not gonna beg because that's not who I am. Yeah, I think she's really good. I actually had Christina Hendricks in mind. Christina Hendricks And that's is really purely good just too. because I'm a huge Christina Hendricks fan, and I will see her in anything, and she'll make it work. That's just where I'm kind of at with her, personally. She is also a fantastic actress. Yeah. Yeah. And I just kind of figure, like, as, with her, I can see her playing that kind of soft-spoken, sort of, like, uh, like almost obedient sort of person, and then she can turn that, like, Im- like immediately, like in the original well, that's, movie. Well, where... that's literally her role in Firefly. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly what she does. Now I want to know Mike's, because <laughs> he yeah. just, he built it up like he was... I yeah, did, Mike, So like I said, I gender swapped and I wanted someone super comedic to make the turn at the end that much more of a surprise. I went uh, Karen Sony, who is a comedy guy that Paul Feig uses a lot. He first used him in the um, YouTube, uh, not YouTube, um, Yahoo series Other Space. Which he's great uh, in. He's super great in. I just started watching that. He's in Rough Night, Office Christmas Party. Uh, he played the guy who was delivering the food to Melissa McCarthy in Ghostbusters. Um, 
He's a straight up little comedian. He is, um, uh, he's in Deadpool. Um, he, he plays the guy who drives a car and gets carjacked in Deadpool. Yeah, he's that guy. Oh, okay. I, mean, I mean, basically, his role in Deadpool is what we would want him to be in, or is what you would want him to be in uh, They Live. I'm sorry, in Obey. In Obey, or more like his other space ro- role, where he somehow became a network executive, even though he's totally unqualified for it. Yeah. Uh, maybe he just kind of lucked into the position because of nepotism, and you can believe that he's not helpful to Nada because he doesn't really know anything. But in the truth, you know, the truth is really that he does know what's going on, and it's all just deception. I like it. I think that's a fun idea. He's also someone that we haven't necessarily brought up on the podcast before, but who I also really like. Yeah. Why not? Let's let's go with him. Okay. Karen Sony, you got a job. <laughs> so next, I would say uh, Gilbert, the leader that- of the resistance. Yep, I did. I did not. I don't have a pick for Gilbert. I was sitting around thinking about that one for a while, so I'm gonna kind of let you guys take the wheel on that one. Okay. I have three other actor roles who I have, uh, yeah, and then we get to writer director. I have uh, three more total. I have Gilbert, the preacher, and the drifter. I have Gil. I have Gilbert, the preacher, and the rich guy at the end. Is the rich guy at the end the drifter? The rich guy at the end is the drifter who's complaining about the reception on the television at the beginning. It's funny. I can actually see. Oh. I can see Mike's. I can see uh, Mike's picks for everything, oh, and yeah. his and his pick for drifter was the one I had in mind. So that's oh, perfect. cool. Yeah, so that's perfect. All right. So do we want to? Do you want to start with Gilbert or, or the drifter? Um, let's start with Gilbert. Great. Yeah, let's do. Yeah. What do you guys? I got? had. I had Rob Riggle. Ooh, Rob Riggle. I like. Yeah. Rob Riggle. That could be fun. I went. I did one of those one for one things, and I did Jonathan Banks. Jonathan Banks. From Breaking Bad. Okay, okay. <laughs> and your favorite movie, Sam, Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he plays the uh, the hospital orderly that John Lithgow kills at the beginning. Oh, jeez. He's in Beverly Hills Cop. He's, uh, yeah, Jonathan Banks is wonderful. He's on Better Call Saul now. and uh, but... Well, we know for a fact that he can do comedy because he was really funny in Community. Yeah. I think Rob Riggle kind of goes more in line with where I'm at for, like, The Drifter. Well, he is also in line with who I have for The Drifter. Because for me, when I cast my main three, I cast vaguely comedic for Frank, but I kind of had dramatic actors for those guys, and I wanted to populate the world with funny people. Um, Because of who I chose for a writer, um, I like Rob Riggle. Let's let's go Rob Riggle. Okay. We'll put a pen in... uh, We'll put a pen in Jonathan Banks just because I think he's a a great person to have in mind for the future. It's also worth noting that he is one year older than John Carpenter. Oh, really? (laughs) Who did you have for the preacher? Bill Cobbs. (laughs) Oh, wow. I'm looking at his notes right now. Bill Cobbs. You did? (laughs) Yeah, he had Bill Cobbs. (laughs) I had a feeling because when we had Brett Mercer in here, we were talking about Go On, which is the TV series that uh, Bill Cobb played a blind man. And uh, (laughs) he's so good at playing blind that when I saw him in something else and realize that he isn't blind in real life i was just sort of like ah bill cops <laughs> fucking lied to me ah it's so good i'm so glad you picked him who did you have uh, for the preacher i honestly i mean it's kind of a bigger name but it's just because i couldn't think of anybody i actually had forrest whitaker in mind forrest whitaker would be good too i thought he would be interesting because he's just like he's got such a all over he's played just such a variety of roles i think he would just do that role just purely as a fan probably i think forrest whitaker would be a more interesting gilbert really yeah that's what i, I think like we for- should do i think we should do forrest, like forrest whitaker Whit- as gilbert okay i like that yeah because i can also see forrest whitaker playing homeless better than rob riggle and uh, this yes. might be 
I, this might be mean, but it part part of like part of the reason I picked it was because of that lazy eye. There's just something that's kind of sympathetic about that, like especially for that type of character, like watching it. Like he almost looks a little disfigured and just like like disheveled and beat yeah, down. He could almost be playing the character that he played in Rogue One. Yeah, only uh, good. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm it all hurts for me that... to say that I don't like Rogue One. You you finally decided one what you, you finally come down solidly on, in the do not like camp. Well, I'm going to have to watch it again, even though I've seen it twice in the theaters and I saw it. Well, I don't know if I've told the story on the podcast before, but I was on a plane and I had a half hour before landing. So I was like, well, I'll just watch the scenes that I like in Rogue One. It turned out to be the last 40 seconds. Just for us keeping track at home, you've decided you do not like Rogue One, but that you do like The Last Jedi. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like I like two thirds of The Last Jedi. Because, I mean, that that was a conversation I'd had with you after you saw it for the first time that you didn't like it, but were willing to watch it again. And so it sounds like you've come in... Come- I always liked the Rey and Luke storyline of The Last Jedi. I always thought that was some of the best Star Wars ever made. Uh, but I didn't like the Poe stuff, although I've come around on the Poe stuff a little bit more, although I think it is horribly flawed. And um, I still don't think the Finn and Rose stuff is good at all. Too bad. Their character's motivation totally... Okay, this I, is no, a tangent. No, I, Never I, mind. I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with you, because it's one of those things where either you like it or you don't. I did like it, you didn't. That's the end of that, because it, it, that there's literally no middle ground there. Like, But as a whole, I like the movie. That's the important answer. Yes. Okay, The Drifter. Me and Mike had the same. Let's, uh, Sam, you tell us yours, and you'll see, we'll see if it's, we have a three-peat on this one, because Mike well, and I have the same pick. We went with uh, a comedic world, so for the We're drifter, both crossing our fingers right now. Rob Corddry. Oh, oh, no. Was I close? You're close. Who'd you have? Zach Galifianakis. Oh, okay, yeah, that's better. We're going with Zach Galifianakis. Okay. Yep, we <laughs> no debate needed. Yeah, well, first of all, Zach Galifianakis is another one of those actors that's always good in whatever you see him in. Yeah, Birdman, The Hangover, pretty much everything I've seen him in I've enjoyed. I haven't watched Baskets, but all of the clips that I've seen have been, he's been great. I just imagine the end scene where he's like the wealthy drifter. Like he could really play up the awkwardness of how much he doesn't fit into this world at all. Yeah. And, you know, the, the guy who did play the drifter is a character actor who's been around for a long time. Uh, but I, I think Zach Alvinakis could actually make that role something other than, a lot of third act exposition. As exposition. Well, I also think it's important because I think it needs to be someone recognizable like Zach Galifianakis because I had no idea that the drifter at the beginning and the rich guy at the end were the same person. Yeah. Like they referenced like, yeah, I knew the first time I met you. And I was like, did they meet? Was he the boss at the construction site? I don't know. So well, he I, had a full beard when he was a drifter on that couch seat. And then they gave him a goatee at the end. It's so weird. Yeah. Uh, Cool. So yeah, Zach Galifianakis, definitely. So who were you guys thinking to write this remake or update the script? Oh, man. Um, I, can, I can start if you guys would like. Sure. Sure. My writer for this is Dana Gould. Oh, that is a perfect pick. That's that's really good. Because he does really, really good. Stand Against Evil, which is comedic horror. And he was also like a writer on The Simpsons and all this other stuff. I mean, Dana, plus, I like if he's Dana Gould and he's, how old was he? Santa Gould was born in 64, so he's eight years older than me. So he was probably exactly the right age for this movie when it came out, that there's no way he didn't see it when he was younger. 
Right. Th- that I'm convinced that he had something in his mind for this sort of movie. Also, he wrote an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000, so I feel yeah. like that would appeal to Brett. That actually, yeah. You know what? I actually, the more we're talking about this, and, and maybe it's just because he's uh, he's rebooting uh, The Twilight Zone. What do you guys think about Jordan Peele? Oh, interesting. I like Dana Gould better that you brought it up, but like, I just, <laughs> I just thought, no, I, I actually didn't even think to put uh dana gould in that role but like uh jordan peele he's just kind of proven himself to be able to write such a weird sort of movie i think like he would do at least a good job i don't disagree i think jordan peele would also be very good i i'm still all for dana gould at this point but yeah look mike i'm curious what my choice on this was adam mckay because i think adam mckay does well in balancing both comedy and social commentary which i think at least our casting is what this movie is leaning more towards. Finding a lot more of the comedy, uh, straight up comedy, as opposed to the uh, Adam McKay wrote the Big Short. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Then, okay. Yeah. I love I'm, Adam McKay. Adam McKay's okay, great. He's. Just, uh, I'm looking to see if he's what like what kind of sci-fi or horror stuff he's done, and he hasn't done much. I mean, he did a pass on Ant-Man. I mean, I love Adam McKay. Like, that's the reason why I suggested him, I think, either for RoboCop or for uh, Demolition Man. I don't remember which one. Yeah, I, I do remember you did it on one of those, and it made me really take a second look at Adam McKay's work. and Because um... he's very good. And, like, when he was doing the uh, uh, the Surprisingly Awesome podcast, I was on board. Because, like, he had, like, interesting ways of looking at things, and he's a super interesting guy. I just don't think he has the sci-fi element, but I think... Adam McKay is amazing. Hmm. I mean, there isn't really necessarily a lot of sci-fi in this other than the basic premise of, you know, the dumbening and numbing of the world through, you know, advertising and, you know, for our version, technology. Yeah. What What do you guys think about Shane Black? Shane Black would be good, too. I always like Shane Black. I love me some Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, the nice guys. I think he wrote Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3, yep. Iron Man 3. Which is awesome. Lethal yeah, weapons. my favorite of the Iron Man movies. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's kind of proven himself to be a pretty damn good writer. I think we've brought a lot of really great writers to the table on this one. And yeah. Whoever we choose isn't going to be a bad choice at all. Should so we let's, all... Let's leave those for a moment and let's figure out who would be a good pairing for our director. Well, director for me, um, because I like that Steven Soderbergh dips into different genres. I was thinking either Steven Soderbergh or because of the way that this movie really does a great job of showing us the disenfranchised and the overlooked in Los Angeles. I think Sean Baker did a great job with that, with Tangerine and the Florida Project. And I think Sean Baker is a really innovative filmmaker that could do sort of the John Carpenter thing of doing really interesting things on a budget. Uh, so that's why I went Sean Baker. That actually brings up something that I meant to bring up earlier and forgot. What do you guys think the budget of this movie should be? It shouldn't be like a blockbuster budget type movie. It should definitely be, if I would say, honestly, under $5 million. I was thinking if at possible. $5 million. Like, some, like either 5 or 10 Anything beyond 10 would be, I think. I, I agree. Yeah. I, I, um, I said 10 just because of the things that we wanted to do with like technology. and. Technology but I definitely and... think the aliens need to be practical. Yeah. Probably 10 just to get, like, cover, like, some of the casting. Because I'm sure some of the casting choices might be a little, um... Well, I guess not, feel... not necessarily. I mean... Not entirely, but, you know. We did um, pretty good. Yeah. I um, I looked at, for something comparable, doing interesting sci-fi things on a budget, I looked up the budget for Safety Not Guaranteed. That's gonna be, it, like, 20 million, isn't it? 750,000. Whoa. So it's manageable. I know. Hmm. Good. Well, they... 
I mean, it's really just interviews and talking to people. The only thing crazy they do is at the end. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, Brett, who did you have for director? For director, I actually kind of thought about, like, how you can get as much out of as little as possible. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with his work, but I'm a huge fan of Adam Wingard. Yeah. He directed You're Next, The Guest. Uh, I believe he did, uh, he directed the new Death Note. I haven't seen it, but, like... Um, I liked it. A lot of people didn't, but I am not familiar with the anime at all. Mm-hmm. And I understand that the anime is considerably better, but I did like Death Note. But uh, I, I saw The Guest, and that was one of my favorite movies of 2014. It was just such a throwback. And the the reason I bring his name up is because the inspiration behind that movie was Adam Wingard watched Halloween and Terminator back-to-back. And in his head, he kind of tried combining the two a little bit. And I just think for him, like, he's just kind of a fanboy for, like, movies, like, of that time. And just, like, I think he would have, like, he would find a way to make it really cool. Because I think he's, like, a fan, first and foremost. So, yeah, Adam Wingard's my pick. Interesting. Uh, My choice for director is not as well known. Like, he hasn't done as much. But he's a director named Owen Harris. And the reason why I picked Owen Harris is because he's directed a few episodes of Black Mirror. Okay. He also directed a TV movie called Holy Flying Circus. Okay. And he also was a director on Misfits and that sort of thing. So he's done something like so, like sci-fi social commentary with Black Mirror, but he also did Misfits and Flying Circus, which are comedy. Yeah, he's done a bunch of different genre stuff. So he's, I feel like he's got like all that stuff covered. That's not a bad pick at all. He, he's not as well known. So he's a bit more of a left field pick. And I, I figured there was a good chance you guys would have something a little bit more interesting but i i thought it was a cool idea just because i wanted to a mention black mirror in the context of of this episode because basically what we're creating is a black mirror episode yeah Yeah. essentially (laughs) yeah no it's not a bad pick because i feel like if people the people that are gonna see this movie are already fans of they live like that movie already has a cult following so i don't even think like the name of the like who's directing it's gonna like really people are gonna see it if they want to see it regardless i don't think that's a bad choice at all okay so then of the writer's and of the directors that we've suggested, which of the which two can we pick because we think they'd pair well together? Hmm. Good question. So who are our writers again? Our writers were me, Dana Gould. I said Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele. And Mike, you had Adam McKay? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um and then for our directors, we had again me, Owen Harris. Brett, you had Adam, Adam Wingard, and I had Sean Baker. I'm leaning more towards Sean Baker. Florida Project, by the way, this goes to show you how much more expensive movies are these days. Florida Project had a budget of two million dollars. Oh, geez, this he uh, he was a writer director on Greg the Bunny. Yeah, <laughs> Sean Baker has got to have one sixth sense of humor. Oh yeah. Which means that if we were doing if we were doing his version of They Live, the lead up to the joke at the end where this uh, this lady's having sex with this dude who turns out to be an alien, that would be way more messed up. One of the things I really like about Sean Baker as well, too, is a lot of the actors in supporting roles in Tangerine are all stand-up comedians. So I love <laughs> it that he looks to comedians to fill out his movies like he has his stable of people that are in the movies uh quite a bit but he also has you know different people and i actually produced a show at the comedy store that was all comedians from tangerine interesting yeah well then in that uh concept john carpenter when he was doing his extras and background for they live he was doing a lot of social justice and like by hiring actual homeless people he was also using the movie to do good work of our people who do we know among them that's good at standing by what they say like doing kind of the the social justice actually using their thing to 
make a positive impact in the world. Well, I, I think Sean Baker definitely, you know, Tangerine starred real life transgendered. Um, I don't think it's been implicitly said that they were sex workers, but I believe that they were. I could be wrong on that. So <laughs> I don't want anyone to get upset if I am wrong. But my understanding is that the corner of Highland and whatever it was where the uh, Danny Trejo, uh, is it Danny Trejo tacos now? Uh, that one is donuts. Oh, donuts. Yeah. You know, he cast from a real life trans. I believe that. Okay. Yeah. So then let's go with Sean Baker as our director. Okay. We're doing it. Again, purely for the sixth sense of humor of Greg the Bunny and for that other reasons scene. as well. Oh, man. I mean, it's all, the entire movie's built up to a joke, but who do we think is our writer who would pair best with Sean Baker? Honestly, Dana Gould, just based on Sean Baker's, like, attachment to, like, comics and trying to put him in his movies, they probably have, sim- they probably have friends, and they probably, there's probably, like, just, like... Yeah, I, I bet Sean Baker would just be totally geeked getting to direct a, because Sean Baker's always directed stuff that he's written himself, but I bet if he found out that he was going to get to direct a Dana Gould script, that would probably, like, really thrill him. Okay. That, I mean, obviously that works for me. And if you guys are happy with that, then let's go with it. Yeah. Gentlemen, I believe we have a movie. I believe we do. So, Mike, do you want to take us through what our movie is? Our movie is called Obey. It is based on John Carpenter's They Live. We will have a lenticular poster designed by Shepard Ferry. <laughs> it stars Gina Carano as Nada, Terry Crews as Frank, Karen Sony as Holly, Gilbert is played by Forrest Whitaker, The Preacher is played by Bill Cobbs from the television show Goon. That's a callback to a joke three episodes ago. Yeah, I think it's a great callback. Oh, uh, thank you, Brett Mercer. For... <laughs> uh, the Drifter is Zach Galifianakis. It is written by Dana Gould, directed by Sean Baker. Awesome. And we are going to be tackling not just subliminal advertising, but how uh, social media and apps on our smartphones are making us passive and uh, sheep. Wonderful. So I think that worked out rather well. Is this a movie that you think you would see? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I would see it. I think so. Money? Hell yeah. Yeah. I would... All of the elements are things that I like. Yeah. Everyone that we have in this and the people that we have making it are, you know, people that I really dig their work a lot too. And the subject matter I think is important and I think is timely yeah. and worthwhile all right so brett what do you have coming up uh it is or it, where can people find <laughs> you online uh you can find me on twitter at brett hayden one t b-r-e-t-h-a-y-d-e-n uh the number one and then the letter t oh that's cool yeah, yeah. I, I i worked on it if you're on if you're on facebook uh <laughs> please like cinema rose crunch on facebook uh i have a new page for it it still has under 100 likes it's still fairly new so uh please like that and uh, come to that. We do it like the last week uh, of every month at Sellerman's in Hazel Park. It's a free show, so uh, come on down, get a drink, watch a terrible movie with us. And Sam, you're online at at Sam Gash, G-A-S-C-H. And Mike, you're online at Off the Mike, O-F-F-T-H-E-M-I-K-E. And it is great. Aww. All of the things you do are wonderful. And you know what? I love you both very much. Are we going to end this with love? I don't see why not. I mean, love is the greatest smokescreen that the aliens have ever given us. They trick us into loving things that mean nothing. It's all going to our heads. Well, actually, my house is next to an alley. I was thinking that maybe Brett and I could go outside and wrestle around for five minutes and 20 seconds. Oh, man. (laughs) I mean, as long as you guys go to a hotel afterwards and take your shirts off. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, I have a rule. No shirts off. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening to Ideal Remake.